Welcome, friends, to The Human Voice. This is Bob Hutchins. Glad to be back and bringing you another episode, taking the summer off, done a little traveling. Super excited about today's guest. I guess you could say he's a bit of a kindred spirit. So let me read his bio, Jared Giese. He's a technologist, a digital strategist. He's a film distributor, and he's an entrepreneur. His experience includes building the first movie streaming platform exclusively for the faith and family market. Over the past 15 years, he's led the development of streaming apps and e-commerce websites, as well as powering a streaming platform in South Africa. He helped pioneer social TV premieres on Facebook Live, reaching over 14 million people for one nonprofit weekly broadcast. He has diverse leadership and operational management experience, having held executive positions in organizations ranging from director to consumer, film distribution, international licensing. He serves on, on the board of, of a Christian film and television association. And in 2020, he launched the Gizi Group to work directly with producers and distributors on international and distribution strategy, as well as creating an e-cinema virtual streaming premiere solution. Jared and his wife, Sarah, they live in San Antonio, Texas with their three boys. Jared, welcome to the podcast. Thanks, Bob. Good to be here. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this, honestly, for quite a while, because I, I said at the beginning, we're a little bit of a kindred spirit. We both work in the technology field. We, we always like to, to be online doing those things that are always pushing the envelope when it comes to media and marketing and engagement. But also what I'm curious about today and to speci specifically to the new name of my podcast, The Human Voice is to really hear about that human side of Jared and how technology has not only informed your own personal human experience, but also maybe guided and brought you through some changes. So you and I have talked, I know, in the past about what it looks like and what it could be to be involved in possibly a more ethical and a more human internet, a better way of seeing technology. So I want to dive into some of those deep pools today. Is that okay? Let's do it. All right. So I usually ask this question, who is Jared Giese? And tell me a little bit about your background. Let the people know, you know how you ended up where you are now, maybe where you came from. So why don't we start there? Yeah. Um, I, I'm a preacher's kid. <laughs> okay. So I grew up in the evangelical space and you know, a lot of my background you saw there is involved with stories of faith. And mm -hmm. so my intersection with technology kind of came just, oh man, over the years, just being involved with loving tech and pulling things apart as a kid and breaking down your stereo and trying and playing with computers <laughs> and all of those kinds of things. In terms were you, of were you the kid in your neighborhood like me who his dad always had the first computer and I know I was, we had the TRS eighties okay. and the floppy disks <laughs> and the yeah. calculators and all the fun stuff. So kids are out playing and I was on there like making pictures and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. I remember the, my dad had the word perfect computer with the overlay keys and the orange yes. monitor and yeah. <laughs> playing on those things was, yeah, that was the highlight of fun is making computers do things. Yes, absolutely. So you brought up in a, a religious home. Uh, your dad was a preacher. I'm sure that informed much of your life. And knowing knowing a little bit of your of your story, I believe you wasn't there a period. I don't know if it was right after 
high school or during college or after college where you kind of went on a, the road and traveled around the world with kind of a singing? Yeah, that was, that was a big turning point for me. I, I met my wife in this group and, and many of my, my business partners and some of my best friends in the world came out of this group. But uh, yeah, right out of college, I, I joined a mission group. So I studied music. I didn't study technology as much as I love it. It was always just kind of a hobby and uh, music was my passion. And so I was playing the trombone and studying music and but realized I didn't want to be a, a, a band director. <laughs> it just not that there, I have many friends who are, I just, I realized that was not for me. And so I joined this group touring around and lived on a bus and went to we'd drive across the U S doing concerts every night. And it was an ecumenical organization. So that really opened up my eyes to just, a global body of Christ, kind of a different perspective of all the different flavors of Christianity from Baptist to Pentecostal to Catholic to Presbyterian, what have you. And then got a chance to travel and see the world and go overseas. And so I think I went to seven countries in three years. My wife did it mm. for six years and went to like 22 countries. And wow. So that's where we met. And that was a really an impactful time, but I shared that with her. It's just perspective broadening. You know, you see that mm. there are people all around the, the, the world and living in different ways and just fine. <laughs> and the way that you grew up may is not the only way. And so I think that's a healthy message for, <laughs> mm-hmm. for all our kids to, to process when they're young. Yes, absolutely. I got... I had the fortune of also growing up, I didn't go with a traveling group like that, but I did. I was born overseas. I was lived overseas. My dad worked for the government. And so I have mm-hmm. moved around and lived in different places outside of the U.S. And I, I think it's so formative. You know, I was thinking about the, the technology. And I, yeah, I find it really interesting, Jared, how, as you mentioned before, your dad with the WordPress and the overlays and me, Looking at the old RGB screen, my dad's TRS-80 and being the first ones in the neighborhood to have calculators and all this kind of stuff that we take for granted now, but how influential it is in our lives. And I think of my own kids and I think of the travel and the ability to live around the world as did you and how it impacts our, our careers and our life choices and our passions. Do you find that to be true as well? Uh, yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think what's amazing to me now with with just the, the internet, I mean, I don't know, it's it's marveling over the thing that's so ubiquitous now, but gives us the ability just like, you know, I think books and as technology just keeps progressing, more information and connection gives us, I think our our kids now and people now the ability to access what you used to require travel. <laughs> and so it, mm. I think we have... I think some of the disruption and obviously disruption is the big thing, but I think even inside of faith spaces too, where there's just, there's more information and more teachers and authors and speakers, and just there's more connection that technology is bringing. And there's the beautiful parts of that, that we all love that expose us to other ideas and ways of being in the world. Mm. I think travel was kind of one of the only ways (laughs) to do that. Yeah. That's a great point. That's a great point. I know you've been involved in the film industry, and I know that that journey has taken you deep into technology. And what 
What are you seeing right now? You know, I've been in that business for a little while and that's kind of how we connected originally and COVID has just really upended things. And I, I would think for what you're doing specifically in the streaming side of it, what does that look like for you these days? Because when you've got simultaneous releases of, of major blockbusters online and in the theaters, um, that I think that's a game changer on several fronts. What does that mean for you? And like, what does the landscape look like in yeah. kind of in your career? Yeah, it's, I mean, COVID has this, done this major transformation of the theatrical space and all of mm. the rules that the hard kind of lines of this is how you release a movie in theaters, all of that's up in there. And everybody, you know, wants to see theaters come back, but, you know, and... <laughs> And I, I, what I think, and I'm a digital guy, so I'm biased. I hope we get to a place where day and date. And what I mean by that is the, the day it comes out in theaters, the same date, it's also mm. on digital. And we saw that too. Like I know that I just was reading about the recent film that came out from Disney, the black widow black release. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it did really well on their Disney plus where people are paying 29 99, the same day it's in theaters. And so there's always, there are going to be new examples that come with that. And I, I just think letting consumers choose where they're comfortable. Mm -hmm. like a lot of people have amazing home theater setups now and want to enjoy stories at home, but sometimes you want to go to the theater and have a, a group experience and, but not every movie uh, is theater worthy. And, and maybe, maybe now more than ever that consumers are becoming more mm -hmm. discerning about which, which movies are worth their theater going dollar, perhaps. I don't know, but yeah, the streaming side of things has really grown. And I mean, most of what I've developed, taken my business on is a whole path to enable filmmakers to create an e-cinema, you know, these virtual premiere solutions to give them an alternative, mm -hmm. because even though you put stuff in theaters, not everybody feels safe going. And, and that if you're only thinking about the US, the other issue is just globally, like the, the pandemic is global and each market is doing different things. Different countries are in different stages of lockdown and recovery. And so I think that as we come out of this, though, that some of the behaviors around streaming and film distribution will be forever changed. I think mm. consumer patterns that people have developed and expectations that have been set are going to stay. I don't think everything's going to go back to the way it was before. And anybody that's just hoping that, I think, probably is only invested in theater. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, I know you were you were early in in the faith and family uh, market when it comes to to streaming film and making that available. Um, I know growing up in your home as an as an evangelical and and certainly your career path. Tell me what. You know, over the past 20 years, 15, 20 years, what are the major shifts you, you that you've seen? Because because I came out of that that scene as well. I worked many years in that and I saw it evolve and grow and change to, you know, taking off, um, flourishing, struggling to now. I don't even know what to call it in 2021. Kind of this kind of hybrid where both COVID has certainly disrupted many things in our world and our society. I would think the film industry has been disrupted and then boil it down to maybe the, the family, the faith and family films, even that has been severely disrupted. What kind of things are you seeing now? Where do you see it going? And, and really, where do you see kind of your role in that? 
everyone's trying to figure out that question for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, to me, it isn't so much as the, about the specific genre or type of content. I just think in general, and this is because of technology, I think in general that content distribution is becoming much more direct between the audience, between the, the community, the community of viewers and the creator and working with a television program called The Chosen right now. And that's crowdfunded and everything is direct. There's an app just for the chosen and the, the crowd is so engaged with this program. And, but I'm seeing this happen on lots of other films and independent projects. And I think it's amazing that creators can engage at that level. I think the biggest hindrance though, is there's old mindsets about how Hollywood quote unquote is supposed to work. Right. And I think creators want to have a model where, they want the dream job and now it's the Netflix job kind of a thing where Netflix will just yeah. come along and pay you to tell, to make movies. And then you get to walk away and not be involved in the marketing and distribution of your content and marketing and distribution is just talking to your audience now. And I think the rise of crowdfunding is going to be huge. It's going to get, it already is huge, but it's, it's really becoming more common in that I was at a recent industry event. And I think three of the sponsors were, they were all crowdfunding companies for, for film content. Mm. Uh, so that's, you know, how content gets created, how it goes to people. It's kind of like a taking the YouTuber model with influencers mm -hmm. and, but adapting it to, to premium content. And so it just brings a whole lot of expectations and new things for creators to have to think about. So as far as my role, I really have a passion for helping creators navigate that space because often they're just focused on the storytelling or the production side of things and the the business and the tools and the technology part that connects them to the audience is not the piece they're used to thinking about and they're a little they get overwhelmed with all of that that's they kind of been trained that i make it and then i'm done and i hand it off to somebody else and and i call that distribution via abdication <laughs> it just <laughs> it's not effective. It's, it's like, it's like having a, bringing a child into the world and expecting the babysitter to raise them for you. Yeah. Uh, so that's the, that's how I see the landscape changing, you know, and tech is a huge part mm -hmm. of that and empowering, but so what if it empowers you to do new things, if you don't know what to do with it, or you feel overwhelmed with all the technology options, you know, somebody still has to do those works to do that, do that work, to do that connection, to build that, those relationships, to connect the pieces of the technology. There's mo yes. more tools out there than ever, but how do you fit them together in a way that's cohesive and seamless for, for the audience to not feel like they have to understand all of the tech that you're doing? For you, I know there, there was a reason that you got into this business and I know it was telling stories. I know it was tech. I know it was film. But what are people wanting today? How has things evolved and changed? Is is a human being still wanting the exact same thing? A really good story in a visual format told to, to, to really reach the deepest emotions and parts of them? Have people become more surface now? Has the, you know, you hear things about attention spans not as being as long. I tend to disagree with that, but I'd love to hear your perspective. What, what, what is it that you think people are really longing for as you continue to push forward in this genre? Yeah. I mean, it's a, a 
the human, if it's a human question that there's parts of that, that I think you're right. They don't, they don't change. Right. And I think humans want connection, especially coming out of pandemic more than ever. We're looking for connection and that's where the group experiences, whether that's a watch digital watch party or a theatrical experience, that's, that's about connection. Can I, can I form connection and community? And so, and that's, I think the, a, a beautiful thing for filmmakers and storytellers in general is to see their role as one that facilitates connection and community. And the ones who do that, I think will, are the ones that will, their stories will, will have more reach and more impact. It's an interesting, it's an interesting statement, facilitating connections and community. I mean, certainly stories can facilitate connections, but I'd never really thought about how stories facilitate community and and i guess i guess maybe it, it it's obvious today that these big franchises and specifically you look at disney you know it's bringing people together not only in a really good story but say the the whole marvel universe the star wars universe but you're also bringing them together in a in a sense of community and a belonging of i belong to this story in more than just going and watching it one time and enjoying it, but I can talk about it. I can be fans of it. I can dream about it. I can read about it. I can have other forms of media that I consume around this whole community. I think that's an interesting phenomenon and certainly a a recipe for success on many levels. Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. I mean, identifying that you are part of a community and with a program or content. I mean, I think that's part of the the, you know, I think of tools like Patreon or some of these other mm. tools that are empowering creators where there you can directly subscribe and support the, the work. Was it Substack or mm-hmm. sure. the subscription newsletter tools where if you want to support someone's content, you, it's not just like, I want your stuff. It's like, I'm a part of your, your group. Like I support this. It, there's an identity and a connection that I think that happens. That's more than just, yeah, I like that guy's stuff. <laughs> I think people want that. So I, that's, that's certainly a part of where I see things going and that facilitating that connection. The other direction that I hope that things go in terms of the storytelling side of things is in the faith space in particular, is I, I really am hoping that as that kind of a thing develops and the, if the crowdfunding model gives more, you know, there's always the independent film thing. We're feeling like there's not enough money to tell a quality story is, I don't know, you can debate whether that's true or not. <laughs> Because if it's a good story, maybe you don't. It isn't how much money you need. But but I, I what I'd love to see the faith space is to, to embrace is telling stories that resonate on much more of a human level. Mm. And I love that about what you're doing with your new podcast direction mm-hmm. too. Is and I, I I think that technology and the disconnection is almost causing us to dehumanize so many. <laughs> just each other. And we have the beauty and power of this potential for connection, but we also have the power for just echo chambers and little bubbles. And, and so it's, 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 I think it's storytellers have the ability to invite people into other worlds and other stories. And in the faith space, I think sometimes we're too so focused in the zeal for evangelism or conversion that we forget how to tell good stories or just the the importance of more b- beauty and goodness and abundance in the world with our mm. storytelling and our art. And that, that mm. it, the power of that and bringing a community together and, and using that as a, as a vehicle to express what's coming through your faith, I think is, is really important. And, 
it's if we're going to ever reach larger audiences, if faith filmmakers are ever going to reach larger audiences, they have to figure out how to speak at a human level versus mm-hmm. trying to only engage people with kind of a crass used car salesman marketing type of a thing where if you're in the club, you'll get this content. We use insider language and, and we're just selling something. And, you know, if you're in, you're in, and if you're out, well, it probably doesn't appeal to you. Hmm. And no one sets out to do that, but everybody also knows when they complain about, oh, Christian media, it's blah, blah, blah. It's, that's the kind of thing. I feel like every other week there's some article about why is Christian movie so bad? <laughs> yeah, so. exactly. What was your most memorable experience over your, over your career, say the past 15, 20 years of working on films? You know, what, what is it that really stuck out for you that you can say this was a this was either a, a, a huge memorable experience that impacted me and, and kind of maybe impacted the, my direction or, and, and that could be a good thing. It, it could be a difficult thing. My consulting business and working directly with filmmakers mm-hmm. after being a part of Christian cinema for 15 years, which was a beautiful time, you know, and it's now, you know, it's, it's been picked up by the giving company and it's doing what we built it and intended ended in the world and it continues on. And I'm glad to see that. What, what are those kind of benchmarks uh, in your life that you look back and say, this was, this was something that was really uh, influential and impacted my life and took me down a path that maybe I didn't think I was going to go down. Oh man. I feel like uh, those kinds of decisions happen all the time. <laughs> Well, uh, let's let's play it the other way. How about most recently? Where do you feel like that's happening in your life or has happened? Well, uh, you know, for me the big transition the last year and a half has been but I'm I'm at a place now where I I don't want to put any more life energy into inflating a subculture bubble. Mm. And I don't have it's not that I have dislike or any, <laughs> I have well, a lot of dear friends are from in this, you know, in the subculture. I just more of a, where do I, and that's part of that telling broader stories. I think I went through some of the deconstruction type things where the brand of Christian cinema versus my personal faith felt like they were diverging for some times and, mm. um, and where I was wondering, how do I fit into all of these things because of the, because of the, the, the culture that goes around just a Christian product space, it's easy to become very jaded and disconnected in a hurry. Mm. And mm. there are plenty of stories of that. But for me, I have recognized that my story is a Christian one. And I, while I know there are voices in the, the Christian world that like to insist that their view of of Christianity is the only one back to that travel thing. I think I've just been reminded that the, the body of Christ is global and is larger. And I, I feel like I don't like the deconstruction word. What I've gone through is I feel like an art restoration project is how I like mm. to think of it. Yeah. It's good. about uncovering something beautiful underneath that's deeper. And, and so my story, my journey is a Christian one. That's the language. It's, it's my heritage. It's where I'm from. And I don't, I will never let that go. I, I don't have an interest in tearing that down, but I don't want to only be a part of building uh, organizations and things that just want to create a subculture. Right. I really feel like our faith has to be something that 
if it's truly good news, if it's truly something good and beautiful, it needs to be putting goodness and beauty and recognizing the goodness and beauty and abundance that God has created and has put all around us, even in the midst of ugly times and challenging things going on. And so, you know, since it's been a lot of freedom for me to, to be able to not have to be focusing on developing a brand that is serving a very sp specific consumer. And, and so what I'm looking for is creators and filmmakers that are, that are telling stories that want to impact and reach the world. And so mm -hmm. some of that, and we always said that before. And so it's, it sounds like, uh, sounds just as I, I suppose cliche. And sometimes I, I understand that, but I'm not trying to burn any bridges that I just am not interested in continuing to inflate that culture bubble, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, it makes, it makes perfect sense. And I think there's so many of us who come from that background, both young and old, who are asking similar questions. I love the art restoration project because I do think that, um, we can focus on the negatives of maybe, hey, I'm, I'm not that kind of person anymore. I'm not that kind of Christian anymore. I'm not that type of whatever it may be. But I think you have come to a point, what I'm hearing to the same similar as I have is like, you can't deny your culture. You can't deny the, the context and the language that you're most familiar with. And so it makes total sense for me, and I'd love to hear your opinion of it, to continue to um, exist in the and use the language and context of what you're most familiar with, but but perhaps give it a deeper, more beautiful definition, and maybe be able to, like you said, that you know, the the visual of the painting being restored to what it originally the creator of that painting wanted it intended it to be and maybe peel back so much of the dust and the decay and and things that may have gotten painted over it that have been called the painting that really aren't i love that visual yeah well and it's i think it's all part of it and so even the the build up and the you know i don't need to to feel like there are certain parts of my story or my life that I need to get rid of it. I, it's all part of it. And so I find a lot of, a lot of peace and a lot of beauty in embracing the whole journey. And so what's been the biggest shift for you in terms of, you know, the, the intersection of technology, art, film, and faith, like what, what has been the biggest if you were to look at your life and your career 10, 12, 13 years ago and now and look at it now, what would you say is the biggest difference? Obviously, technology has changed, but in terms of deeper things than just the, the functionality of technology, what, what has changed for you? I, I think that for a long time, I operated under the, the, the idea or the premise that nothing else mattered except evangelism. It was the only important thing. Hmm. That's the only thing that had ultimate reality, ultimate value, you know, what's more important than that. And I think that's the thing that I've come to recognize that there's, that's not my job to hold on to that. <laughs> uh, I, and it's not that I, I'm opposed to sharing my faith or what, you know, what's important to me, but I don't think that, I think that there's so much of that, that it caused a perspective of trying to 
that comes across as manipulation and propaganda and trying to just force people to think correct thinking, to arrange their mental furniture properly so that you can be accepted by God. <laughs> and, and so, rather than recognizing that God's already chasing after everybody and mm -hmm. I think, I, I don't know, I call it a theology of beauty. I feel like we need to develop a theology of beauty. I think that's a part of what's affecting our storytelling, and we don't have that. We don't value it intrinsically. I think we're like, oh, it's great. We have beauty in nature, but but we don't really, you know, we may, we may be moved, but we don't really value it if it's something that man creates that's seen as kind of vanity or wasteful or inefficient or something like that. And I think we don't value beauty because we only value messages to the mind. Mm. And maybe this is more evangelical world thinking, but it's as if the heart and soul can be bypassed in any real transformation or discovery. And so, we, I think there's a lot of the thinking I had before where everything else was just a tool or an aid in communicating a message as overtly as possible. Mm. And what I think now is that that's better left in the realm of preaching and teaching, not in the domain of art and film and music and other creative expressions. There is, it's, you know, there's not Christian film, there's just film. <laughs> right. right. You know, that kind of a thing. Or, and yeah, maybe the rest of the world's like, yeah, duh. <laughs> that's what we've all been the whole time. Um, yeah, exactly. Go, go make a really good film. And I think the world will flock to it if it's, if it's a really good film. And I, I think we've all, we can all cite examples of different messages and themes, but at the end of the day, it's a really good film. And, you know, lately I've been struck. I, I was going to, I've been wanting to ask you about this. Do you watch any of the, the Disney plus streams show specifically the Marvels lately? Okay. I've been watching, I've been watching Loki and mm -hmm. man, there's some deep truth in that, in that mm. stuff. There's some beauty, there's pain, but the more that I watch it and really contemplate, there's, there's some really good storytelling about humanity and free will and, and disorder and control and just going deep into exploring what that might look like, alternative timelines of lives and how you can how you can change and, and evolve into a, be a better person. I just think that type of storytelling um, in the midst of a comic book world is fascinating to me, but it goes to what you're talking about, that theology of beauty and truth that can be seen in a man in man-made art that ultimately can touch the heart deeper than anything that could really touch the head on some levels. Mm -hmm. No, absolutely. Absolutely. That's what I think you can't if and if they would have pulled those themes out and made them with a lot of exposition you, you probably wouldn't have resonated with them but because they were in the context of a story you felt invited in to another an, well literally in that one another realities right and another another timelines and all this kind of a thing and i think beauty is an invitation to to see things differently and maybe give us some hope that there can mm. be a different, a different way of, of being in this world that, and, and so we, we need that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. I agree. I agree a hundred percent. One last question. I, I want you to riff on this a little bit. I always ask this question to a lot of my guests is where do you think your faith in America will be in 20 years? And where do you think 
Same similar question. Where do you think film and media will be in 20 years? I'd love to hear the Jared Giese predictions. <laughs> yeah. It depends on if I'm feeling hopeful, <laughs> like we were just talking about, or pessimistic. You know, I, I, you see all the surveys about the the rise of the 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 N O N E S, the nuns, mm-hmm. and you know the less people going to church and, and those kinds of things. And I I feel like I'll, I'll go to to you know even Christian media conferences and. And I'll hear speakers and they talk about it in terms of it's horrible. Like we're in such dark times and, <laughs> and uh, everyone's falling away because they're not checking the boxes, being a part of the, the institutional club on the corner. And, and I, and certainly there's been a lot of time and treasure invested in those organizations and institutions in our, in our, in our culture. But I, I don't think God is unaware I don't think he's surprised. And so on the one hand, there's a grieving as something as I think there are things that are dying in our culture and, and certainly groups of people who are holding on really tightly to, and, and I'm not saying they shouldn't, I don't misunderstand. I just think that in the similar way of, of about beauty, it's, can we see the beauty in the challenge and in the dark places? And I, what I hope will happen over the next 20 years is that we would see what is, what is God trying to do in this? Where is the hope? Where is the beauty of, of people who are actually, and I think this next generation, I think of my, I think of my, I have three teenage boys and, and their friends. And, and I think that, I think the next generation is taking faith actually really seriously. Mm. And some of what what they're complaining about in the evangelical church, I think I heard it, maybe it was a Twitter post, but it's, it's not that they're leaving because they don't believe it. They're leaving it because they think the church doesn't believe what they say. Right. And that really that kind of resonates. And, and so, if that kind of disconnect or hypocrisy or, you know, dies, I'm, I'm all for it. I hope that, and I think it, it, that we talked about deconstruction, and that word really rife, uh, ruffles some feathers. But I, I, there's a podcaster I was following. He says that he thinks it's the fastest growing spiritual movement in the West. Yeah, I would agree. And so if you think about it that way, rather than being like, those are the people that are leaving, but actually going, no, those are the people who really care. How do we engage with those people? I think if we can embrace that, there could be an amazing opportunity. What I'd love to see go away is this addiction to political power and partisanship. Mm -hmm. I think that is the biggest danger to the church right now and just Christian nationalism, because it's I think it makes for bad Americans and bad Christians <laughs> when mm-hmm. you blend the two together and not to get political, but you know, no, so that's, that's where I hope faith goes is that we, we stop trying to exclude people who are, who are actually really seeking because they, they aren't doing it. There's so much information on the internet from technology that they're, the reason they're leaving is they're actually doing research and understanding and they're, they're searching. And I don't yes. think the creator of all things is going to just leave people hanging because they didn't go into the local church corner. I think he's has the power to connect and find people where they are. 
Hmm. So that's good. The question is whether we are going to embrace that and understand it and connect with people. One of my favorite sites right now, if you want to read more about this, a friend of mine, Pastor Eugene Kim, has a called the New Wine Collective. And he has, and the whole tagline is Rethink Church. He'd be a great guest. You should talk with him. I should connect hmm. you guys. He's got these white papers on rethinking church that I just really love uh, and connect. What does it look like to do church in a a post-COVID world and all these other things? So that's my hope where I I think if we can figure out how to reconnect as community, people are longing for that and, you know, bring that full circle. Where I see film going, uh, yeah, again, I mentioned that earlier. I think it's about direct. It's, Mm. It's a direct relationship. It's, again, that connection thing creator to community and communities funding creators and telling the the stories that they want to tell. I think the whole, you know, model of just the big studio model is, is not how, I mean, yes, we'll have the the big blockbuster stories, but it's not, there's going to be so many breakout shows like that are right. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Well, Jerry, this has been fascinating. I could talk all day about it, but I really appreciate number one, your friendship, but number two, your heart for, for, for beauty and really your work and pushing technology and, and media and beauty forward. You know, if we all, all could do our part, hopefully we'll, we will see a brighter day in 20 years. If we're, you and I are still around, I'd love to come back and <laughs> see how far we've come and what's changed. Do a follow-up. Let's do but, it. Uh, ho- hopefully it won't be that long. How can people find out about you? And if they want to learn more, if they want to hear about your company, what, how can they find you? Uh, yeah. Geesygroup.com. Mm-hmm. I'm on all the socials too. And that's spelled G-E-E-S-E-Y. Group.com. Yeah. the fly with a Y, as my mom always says. <laughs> and are you, are you open right now if somebody's saying, you know what, I would love to get some, get my film out there, or I'd love to learn more about streaming technology? Is that, are those the yeah, type of absolutely. people you're looking Everything for? Everything I do is fully white labeled. I help with distribution strategy if you're just trying to figure out next steps. Uh, if you need international licensing, digital, anyway, I don't want to pitch all the services, but I'm happy to have phone calls and just see how to help people. Awesome. Awesome. Well, Jared, thank you for being on the podcast and tell your wife and your boys hello for me. All right. Thanks, Bob. All right. We'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Right.